Family, we've been in a series on grace, and it's been really neat. I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to, to think about grace. If, if this is your first time, we've been talking about the fact that God, in his great love for us, has chosen, not because of anything within and of ourselves, but, but because of his own good pleasure, his own desire, he's chosen, chosen to give us grace, to, to treat us with favor, but not just to, to treat us with favor like like you might treat a kid and you know you express that you like them but but to do things that empower us for life. And so we talked about 2 weeks ago Pastor Jermaine talked about this idea that that our situation apart from Jesus Christ, apart from a relationship with God is is pretty bleak, it's pretty dire. If you don't have a relationship with God, Paul tells us in Ephesians that that you're dead in your trespasses and you're dead in your sins. And you're following the course of this world. In other words, you're, you're just kind of walking along, following the, the, the prince of the power of the air. I mean, th- there's a dynamic warfare that happens in, in the supernatural that we don't see between uh, Satan and, and demons and, and that force and, and God. And if you're not in the, the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then you're in the other kingdom. And it sound, I don't mean to make it sound theatrical or, or anything. That's just what the Bible says. And so that's where we find ourselves apart from Christ. But it says in Ephesians, but God, being rich in grace and mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he, he, he made us alive together with Christ. So by faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ, by saying, I don't trust my own ability to make myself right before God, but rather I'm going to trust in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross as the way that I can now be reconciled to my Father. We can have new life in Christ. And then last week we talked about how Jesus is our heavenly high priest. That it's, it's so great to be able to say, I'm a Christian, but we still live life in a broken world. There is still what the Bible says calls, uh, what Paul calls indwelling sin, this, this kind of urge that we fight against to, to still live in, in our own old ways. Uh, and, and we have to fight that. And, and so we have an amazing privilege of being able to go to God the Father because we have this heavenly high priest, this individual who can intercede on our behalf, who can mediate for us, who can advocate for us before God the Father. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so because of that, God has these amazing gifts of his grace and mercy freely available, available to us. You know, we, we sometimes approach God kind of half-heartedly, a little bit like ready to get punched in the face. We're not quite sure. You know, we go to church. Ah, I don't want to go to church because the preacher's going to say stuff and I'm going to feel bad. And, uh, and, and we want to hide from God. And, and what, what the writer of Hebrews had been saying is, no, run to God because that's where the grace come from, comes from. You know, I so appreciate what, what Debbie said. You know, if you're in the middle of something, if you're struggling with stuff, the solution is not to run away from church. Yeah. The, the solution is to come and get involved. Get around people who can encourage you. Get around people who can embody Christ before you. So today we're going to look at another aspect of God's grace at work in our lives. And it's grace to pursue his purpose and his power for our lives. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you can read along with me, I want everyone to stand. If you're new, again, we read the scripture out loud, all together, standing. Standing is a way of saying, I'm giving honor to what God has said. 
Uh, there's nothing magical about it, but it's a way of saying, I'm, I'm going to give attention to this. And then there's just something good about hearing the word of God coming out, out of the, the, the mouths of not just yourself, not just the pastor, but everyone around you. This is one of the most important parts of this meeting. So we're going to do this. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scripture, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, it is what we preach, and this is what you believe. Father, I pray that we would receive, that we would hear and we would receive your gospel afresh today. That, that like the Corinthians, we would be reminded of what Christ has done. And Father, I pray that, that you would pour out your grace and like Paul, we will look at our lives, consider who we were before this intersection with Christ, and we would receive the grace that you have for us in order that we might live in the purpose and the power that you give because of your gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I love this text. I've preached it a number of times. It's one of my favorites because it's, it's very clear. It's very clear about what the gospel is. You know, there are a lot of ideas about the gospel. Maybe, maybe you have ideas about the gospel. You've got gospel music, but that, that's not necessarily music that talks about who Jesus is. It's, it's a particular genre of music, and you've got, like, uh, that word is gospel, and you have a way of saying that, you know, that's, that's uh, codified, that's important, that's, that's the right way to say that. But when we think of the gospel, Paul and God is thinking about something very specific. And in the first three verses, in fact, he, he talks about this gospel. And I'm going to read out of the ESV. It says this, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. The gospel is, is this good news that is it's delivered, it's preached. Um, it's, it's not just a way of living. Uh, you know, there, there was a, a bumper sticker that was popular for a period of time. It said, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And I would say, preach the gospel with words because it's necessary. <laughs> um, you know, when you turn on the news, you don't watch people living their lives. 
you hear a reporter giving you a report of something that's happened. And while it's super important that we live lives that are morally upright, that we live with integrity, that we have a character that reflects the nature of God, that's not the starting point that God has for us. The starting point for him is this gospel that I've preached. It's the gospel that was preached, that we must receive. Um, the, the Corinthians had received it. They understood it with their minds, but more than that, they had submitted to it in their hearts, right? It's, Paul doesn't say, this is the gospel that you heard. It's not just the gospel that you mentally assented to, but it's the gospel that you heard, and as a result, your heart made some, some convictional changes, you made some commitments in your soul to live a particular way in light of this news that you heard. Now, maybe you're in this room and you've never made those convictional changes. And I would encourage you and, and say that church and being saved is more than just doing good things. Yeah. It's more than just having a list of like, I've got these five things. If I do these things, I'm going to heaven. If I don't do these things, I'm not going to heaven. That's not how God works. God works on the, on the basis of, and the reality is there's, he could work that way, but there's no list that we could fulfill that would that would be sufficient for us to stand before God and be holy. We've, we've all missed it in, in, the, in the morality, productivity showcase. Uh, and, and so rather than trusting in some sort of to, to-do list, God always begins this with this, this is what, we've, what I've done. This is what I have done, God says. And, and we are to receive that, not just in our mental ascent, but, but in the way we live as a result. It's a gospel that's received. And because it's received, it's a gospel that they stand on, one that's foundational. He says in, in the rest of verse 1, the, go- the gospel I preached, which you received, in which you stand. And, and again, I would come back. He's reminding, he's reminding Christians. So don't feel like this is a moment where you can kind of turn off and, and you don't have to listen to this. This is for people who don't necessarily know if they trust in God. No, we all need to ask ourselves, on what am I standing? In what am I standing? Because you can give lip service to this and say, you know, I trust in God, I trust in his grace, I trust in the gospel, but you live your life like you trust in yourself. You you can go Monday, Tuesday, and and does anxiety rise up in you when you look at the bills and you say, oh, I gotta gotta fix this, I gotta make this work. And I'm not saying that we aren't, we're to be irresponsible, but our responsibility to to provide, to to pay the bills, to do these things, uh, they all depend upon a trust and a faith in a God who provides. That's foundational. That's what we're standing on. You know, in your marriage, are, are you standing on, well, that person is the devil, so I'm, I'm not going to uh, keep this marriage going? Or, or are you standing on the foundation that God has established this marriage, and therefore I'm going to stand on the faith that I have, not on the fact that so-and-so was acting terrible, or, not, or the fact that I can't stop acting terrible, but I'm going to stand on the fact that God has done something. That's what we stand on. In our parenting, you don't stand on whether or not Billy can do a good or bad job. If you did that, you'd be a schizophrenic. And I know that if you're a parent of more than one day, you sometimes feel like a schizophrenic because our heart and our soul is just constantly, yay, he's doing great. Oh, he's doing bad. Yay, he's doing great at church. Oh, he's doing bad at church. And you're just like, like a, a, a pinball. And, and God would say, no, we want to stand on the gospel we're going we're gonna to show our children the kind of um, unconditional love that God gives to us, and we're going to trust God in the good times and in the bad times. And the good times don't get way manic out of control, and the bad times don't dip down into, well, I'm, I should just give up. 
it, it evens out because we trust that God is at work. By faith, we trust in God. We look back at moments like the, the baptism and we say, no, God is at work. We look at other moments where, where the Bible says, this blessing is for you and for your children. And we say, God is at work. But it starts with standing. We stand. It's a gospel that they stood on. Not only that, it's a gospel that we're being saved in. Now, again, sometimes, and most often, I think, when we talk about being saved, if you grew up in church, being saved is this, this concept of, I made a decision, or I came to the altar, or um, God saved me in a moment, and we, we, all, we go from death to life, we go from um, darkness to light, and, and that's true. That's what, what we would call justification. In a moment, I go from being guilty before God, but I put my faith in Jesus Christ and got Christ's righteousness and, and, and good uh, record is, is given to me. It's imputed to me. And so uh, I, I'm kind of like when you go um, to the carnivals and you see the, the cutout of the strong man. You know, I'm not a particularly strong man, but, you know, if I stand behind that guy, I kind of look like a strong man. And, and that's silly, but that's, that's a picture of what, what justification by faith looks like, is when God sees us, he doesn't see us anymore, he sees the strong man, right? But Paul doesn't just leave it there, he says, no, you are also being saved. And there's a present reality to God's redemptive work in Jesus Christ for you right now. You don't want to leave the, this is why we can't leave the gospel behind. This is why he's reminding them. I want to remind you of the gospel. You don't, you don't. Believe the gospel, and then you move on to bigger and better Christian things. No, you learn the gospel, then you forget it. Then you learn it again, then you forget it. Then you learn it again, and then you get, God, please help me stop forgetting this. And then you forget it, and then you, you know, you get, you get hangry, and you forget it, and then you remember the gospel. This is the gospel that we're being saved in. And, and if you're here, maybe you're, you're discouraged. Maybe this week has been kind of rough. My encouragement is... God is not done. You're being saved. Paul says in, in, in Philippians, he who began a good work is not going to give up. He's going to finish it. So, so we're all in process. Sometimes you come to church and you're like, yes, I worship God. Last week was great. I don't have anything to, to confess. Other weeks we're like, you know, I'm not going to sing. Can't sing. We're ang- we were angry at church. And... and and God is, he wants us to come to us. He wants us to come to him. That's, that's the gospel. He wants us to come to him in all of those situations because the gospel still applies and the gospel is still saving. So he says that this is the gospel. This is the gospel, guys. This is the one that, that I, I preached to you. You know, they're starting to stray and he's like, I, this is the gospel. Now, he's going to go into more detail, and, and they're talking about resurrection, and they're, they're confused. But for us, we need to step back and remember, this is the gospel. It doesn't start with what you or I did. You know, the good thing about God is that he never leaves it to us. He never leaves. In the beginning, what? Some people got together, and they start to cobble in some clay, and they made the... No, in the beginning, God. Abraham. Abraham wasn't like, you know what, God? I think we should start a new... You know, this whole worshiping the moon thing, I don't think it's legit. I think you're God, and, and so I'm going to start a people, okay? Is that cool? With, no. God calls Abraham out of idolatry and says, I'm going to make a people out of you. 
Moses. Moses goes and murders someone trying to be like, I'm awesome. I'm self-righteous. You know, you need to stop doing that. You need to, and, and he kills someone in his self-righteousness. And, but God chooses him. God initiates. And in Jesus Christ, God initiates. The gospel has to do with the fact that God initiates and we respond. But he doesn't just leave it there. He, he goes on to, just, to say the simple good news. I'm going to read them, verses 3 through 8. For I delivered to you, I gave to you, I brought, I reported to you as of first importance what I also received. And there's so much in that, that sentence. He delivered, he responded to his job, delivering to them what was first importance, what he also received. This wasn't a, a gospel that he made up. This, the, the, the stuff in this Bible, this is not, you know, I think the world would like to say, well, this is a Bible that was written by a bunch of um, um, immoral, terrible people trying to make a power play. And what Paul would say is, no, what I received, I received from God. And in fact, his ministry was characterized by the fact that he, he didn't initially go to any of the apostles and say, hey, this is the gospel, I, I, Jesus appeared to me, is this legit, is this what you heard? No, he went and ministered on the basis of the fact that God had met with him, initiated something, it was something that he had received, and therefore he was going to deliver it. Yeah. This gospel is from God. Now, if you're in this room and you're like, well, I don't want to believe in man's religion. I don't want to believe in this kind of organizational structure that, that people come up with. I don't either. I don't want you to hear any of my good opinions. Because my good opinions are the good opinions of one person who doesn't have a lot of good opinions. <laughs> I mean, pie, that's a good opinion that everyone should live by. But apart from that... If, if I say it, you do what you want with it. But if God says it, if God says it, there's, there's something that we have to do about it. What I delivered to you, I delivered as first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. See, the good news starts with this fact that God, not just Christ died, but, but that God had in the Old Testament been preparing his people in, in, in prophecy, in imagery, in typology, kings, prophets, priests, all of these ways that, that there was going to be one, a suffering servant. You know, we sing a song about um, by his stripes we're healed and, and by his, you know, he was a man of sorrows. That's straight out of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ. And, and if we were to read it now, you'd be like, oh my goodness, that describes God. That describes Jesus Christ. And it does. It describes him. And, and so he says, this is the good news, that Christ died in accordance with, God, with what God had already been sharing for hundreds of years. This was the plan from before the foundations of the world. Christ died for sin, for our sins, in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Again, things that had already been promised. This was not something where the disciples were looking around saying, oh, we've got to come up with something. You know, like, how are we going to spin this? You know, I'm really embarrassed. My leader's dead. Um... This is not a situation where, where, where the, the disciples went to the tomb, tried to steal the body, <clears throat> and then tell everyone that Jesus was alive. And, and, and that's kind of a, a present-day argument, but, but Paul was aware of, it, aware of it, and he even goes on to say, um, 
He was raised on the third day, and then he appeared to see, he appeared to Paul, or Peter, rather. And then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He's saying, hey, you can go find the people. Go look them up. Get on Facebook, the people who saw Jesus party group, right? That, that's what Paul is trying to say. Corinthians, if you got any question about resurrection, Jesus resurrected. He saw, you don't want to talk to me about it? Talk to Peter. You don't want to talk to Peter? Talk to the 12. You don't want to talk to the 12? Talk to the 500. I mean, some of them died, but most of them are alive. Right? This, you kind of get a sense of his, like, he's kind of in it because he's like, you know, some of them have died. Have died so, but you, you know, do the right thing. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. This is the good news. This, this is the report that we give. You know, one of the things we talk about uh, here, and if you're in the Life of Grace breakfast, we talked about evangelism. And sometimes we get really freaked out about evangelism. Like, I don't want to tell my friends or my neighbors about Jesus. And I'm right there with you. I don't, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're a two-headed serpent when they're talking to someone. The moment you're like, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? They start to look at you like you're a two-headed serpent. And you're like, I know, it's weird. But, but, but he, he very clearly simplifies it. It's not some sort of like, let's have a, I don't know. We, we just put a lot of baggage around the idea of sharing your faith with someone. But for Paul, it was just, hey, this happened. This is something that really happened and it has bearing on my life. And that's what evangelism is for you and me. You go to your neighbor and you say, hey, this happened and it has real bearing on my marriage. It has real bearing on my parenting. It has real bearing on my single life. It has real bearing on my, my, my college life, my, my children. It has bearing on all of those things. That's evangelism. It's saying, let me invite you into something that I've heard and experienced. It doesn't have to be some sort of weird, like, if you die today, you're going to heaven or hell. Like, you know, are you an atheist? You know, what are your beliefs? What kind of philosophical systems do you, you don't have to do that. You just, it's a report of what God has done and an offer. You start a conversation and you allow them to speak. And then you say, you know what? This is what I believe about what has happened in reality and how it impacts my life. We do it every day. You know, we, we usually talk about, you know, sports teams. Like, so-and-so, whatever team lost, and I am heartbroken. Like, that's, something happened, how it affects me. I went to work, and this knucklehead did such and such, and I am angry. Like, something happened, how it affects me. I got engaged. Something happened, how it, got, how it affects me. We do it all the time. That's, that's what Paul is doing. And so he goes and explains the gospel and then he, he reflects, and I want to spend the rest of our two seconds here um, on this last little bit. He says in, in verse 9, or 8, Last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And, and you can begin to hear Paul's emotion and as he reflects on who he was before Christ and who he is now. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. And on the contrary, I worked, I worked harder than any of, the, any of them, talking about the other apostles, though it is not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether, whether, it is what, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So he begins to reflect on, on the gospel and then he thinks about his own life and he says, oh man, 
And then he appeared to me. And I'm not even worthy to be in that party. And maybe you're, maybe you're here today and that, that's your disposition. You know, I'm not even worthy. You know, maybe you've been told you're not worthy. Maybe you've been treated in a such a way that would, would communicate you're not worthy. But the grace of God is that none of us are worthy. The grace of God is that he chooses us and he does things because we're not worthy. If you, if you haven't recently been in awe of what God has done for you, I would consider looking at these words, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Now, maybe you didn't persecute the church. Maybe you weren't like an atheist beforehand who just hammered on Christians and looked for opportunities to, to tear them down. But we've all persecuted God's kingdom. We've all been in positions where our priorities were contra what God's priorities were. And, and we've all affected the lives of ourselves and others. He goes on to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. Now here in this text, I don't wanna, I wanna be careful because when he says I am what I am, I think he's referring to his apostleship. So we're not all apostles and he's not necessarily talking about his intrinsic identity. But the fact that he mentions that he is an apostle by the grace of God presupposes, assumes that he is also a Christian by the grace of God. And, and so when we look at this, we too can say, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am a pastor by the grace of God. I started as an IT guy. Like, I didn't know stuff. I, I didn't preach. I, didn't I, I preached some pretty terrible sermons. And some of you might be like, yes, like this one right here. Um, but I, I preached a lot and sometimes it was terrible. And, and I tried to reach out to kids and did a bad job, said things I shouldn't say, you know, most of the, you know, throw a dart at youth pastor cliches and you'll hit me. Um, play guitar, wore a hoodie. Anyways, those aren't necessarily bad things, but God gave me a purpose, not because of me, but because of his grace. Yes. God has a purpose for your life, a real live purpose. Not just, oh, you're going to honor God. But he has a very specific plan and purpose for your life that, that can only be accomplished by his grace. Yes. And if you're living life and you're like, well, you know, I'm doing pretty good and I don't really need God's grace, you're doing it wrong. I promise you, something about what you're doing is wrong. I mean, not, not to say, there are moments and there are seasons where everything is going and flowing and you're happy and it's great. But, but God's, God's desire for our life is not to make, us, make it go easier, but it's to draw us closer. And sometimes drawing us closer means, you know, maybe you have a, a friend or a relative or a child who you try to have a relationship and it's like, well, you know, okay. And you're like, hey, how you doing? I'm good. Um, you know, how was, how was your day? And he goes, what? Hold on. And you're like, take the phone and throw it away. Like that's sometimes what God wants to do. He's going to take the phone. He's going to take the situation. He's going to take the relationship. He's going to take the, the thing that you love, the idol probably, and throw it away. Yeah. And that's not always happy, but it's good. I don't have no idea how I got there. <laughs> yep. So it's, it's God's grace. God has a purpose for us. 
But, but he doesn't just have a purpose for your life. He has the power for it to be accomplished. Look at, look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. That, and that's not Paul. He, he's not bragging in that moment. He's saying, I persecuted the church. I didn't deserve this. And so I worked as hard as I could, given the fact that I, of my past. I worked as hard as I could. He, he, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Your purpose is only accomplished by the grace of God. And it's this weird non-math addition where you work 100%, you go to bed exhausted, and yet somehow because of the grace of God, it's doable, and somehow by the grace of God, God is also doing it. My question to you is, is when you work, are you aware of God at work? Have you invited God into your work? And I'm not just talking about your employment, but every aspect of what you do. When you live your life, do you live it toward God, receiving grace, recognizing your need for that? Or do you do it not in relation? Because Paul is calling us to live a kind of life where we work hard, but we don't work apart from grace. Paul worked 100%. God empowered his work 100%. So when we do work, when you do work, when you find that place of service on the special ops team, (laughs) when you find that place of service, you work 100%. You sacrifice. But at the same time, somehow God sustains you and he works. And, And it multiplies. It becomes possible. It becomes doable. It's the difference between an engine running with and without oil. With, with oil is with God. Without oil is without God. And it's not good for engines. They die quickly because of friction. And there's something about the friction of, of living, trying to live out this life apart from God that will burn you up. Do you live in that tension or do you try to live apart from his grace? God wants us not just to leave his grace and his gospel back over here. We are currently being saved by it and we're currently standing on it and we're currently motivated by the grace that God gives through it. Now, if you're in this, in this room and, and you don't have purpose, you feel like, you know, I, don't know, I don't know that God has a plan for you, then my encouragement is that God does have a plan. He does have a desire for you. He does articulate it in his word and he will speak to you by, the, by his Holy Spirit to, to give clarity to what, what you should be doing in your life. And with that, he doesn't just say, go and do this and not give you the strength to do it, but he gives you his grace. Again, last week, he, he invites you to come to the throne of grace joyfully to receive mercy, to receive grace. On Monday, do you need grace? Do you need grace to work where you work? God has it for you. Do you, don't amen to this, but do you need grace in your family? <laughs> I don't want to start. We'll have some counseling after this. Um, do you need grace in your parenting? Do you need grace in your, in, in your other relationships? God has it for you. And it's all centered on this gospel. If I could simplify it even further, when you, the gospel is Jesus. We were singing about glory God has shown his glory in Jesus Christ. 
God has given us a picture of his glory. We'll see it in greater levels when we go to be with him. But right now, God has given his glory in Jesus Christ. And he invites you into your purpose to live and to act it out with power by his grace. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you care about us, that you are so gracious to us. That, that your grace is not just favor, but it's this sort of unction, this power by your spirit to accomplish what we otherwise could not in the ways that we should. Lord God, I pray that you would minister grace to everyone in this room, that, that those who feel like they are hungry and lacking would be satisfied, even in this moment, would recognize the love of Christ and be satisfied, that there would be a sense of grace, a renewal, a new motivation to live in a way that honors God. If you're in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, never received that grace, but you want to today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God has done. You've heard the good news. You've heard what Jesus has done in history, that he died, he rose again, that he died for our sins, he rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death, and, and he's, he sits at the right hand of God, mediating and interceding on behalf of his people. If that's you, if you want to trust in that God, I just want you to raise your hand. Great, once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. Just pray this with me. God, I need your grace. I understand that my way of living has not worked and that I am still separated from you apart from what Jesus has done. And I trust, I choose to trust in Jesus Christ, not in my own abilities, but in Jesus to reconcile me to you, Father, and to bring new life. Father, we thank you. We worship you and we pray that you would help us to live in light of your grace. Amen.